preaching yourself, especially preachers. We preach all the time, but we need to be preached to as well. And uh, we had a great opportunity because we had an incredible couple from uh, Santa Clarita Valley Church of Christ out in California, Ron and Cheryl Hammer. Some of you may know them. Yeah, they came into town, and uh, he actually spoke at one of the regions that Sunday. And then on Monday of this week, got with all the staff. And uh, it was particularly encouraging time as Ron got with all the brothers. David was there with me. And uh, he shared something that honestly was inspiring, but also very challenging. And it really called us to be greater disciples and leaders with passion. And when I, when I say the word passion, I know sometimes we can have our own definition of that. And maybe we don't need so much passion. Maybe we're too out of ourselves. And sometimes we have the passion police. Like, calm down, brother. Relax, sister. And I, and I think sometimes when we do that, we actually kill God fulfilling great things in our lives. Because something that I've learned in, in a lot of different areas of my life is you get out of something what you put into it. And we can be passionate about a lot of things, right? Any, any football fans? <laughs> See, notice if they weren't passionate, they just go, uh. But no, they go, woo, woo, woo. Like, there's passion, right? Anyone here love music? A lot of passion with music, right? Some of us have that little thing called love. Yeah. What was encouraging, it was a lot of the married still doing that. So that's good. That's good. Got to keep that passion up, you know, right? We can be passionate about a lot of things, but here's the thing. How do you stay passionate all the time? And so he shared this story that I want to share with you because it convicted me, and I'm hoping that together we can take this seriously. And so if you'll turn to 2 Kings chapter 13, we'll set my clock here, see if that'll work. Supposed to work. There we go. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, a very interesting story. The context is obviously the kingdoms have been separated. You have the northern and southern kingdoms. You have the wicked kings, the good kings, all that situation. You have all the prophets there. And at this point, we're actually at the final day of Elisha. Okay? So verse 14 says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. So you, you get this idea that he actually like held it with him. Like he was showing him how to do this. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, obviously the ones remaining that he didn't shoot. And the king took them. Elisha told him. Strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. And if you read the rest of the story in context chronologically, 
That's all he did defeat them were three times. Now, I put myself in the king's shoes for a moment. I did everything you said. And I get a rebuke. Does anyone else feel that? Have you ever been in that situation where like, I followed your directions completely. Why am I getting discipled? Right? You've been there? And I'll be honest, I'm like, he did everything that was asked. And by the way, did he say how many times to strike the ground? He didn't. But maybe that's the whole point. Because maybe the test in that was about something other than just going through the motions. Than just doing what we know to do. Than just following the traditions. And whether you want to say it or not, guys, our church has its own traditions too. We don't call them that, but we do have them. And we can go through the motions, but you know how you can obey, but without real passion? See, I think this story is challenging because unwittingly, whether the king knew it or not, he determined the limits of his future success. I wonder how many of us do the same thing. Not because we don't follow directions, but because we don't have passion in what we're doing. See, I think this whole thing was all a question of passion and zeal. Elisha had told him it was an arrow of victory. How badly do you want victory? If you really want it, and you would say, strike the ground, and you have this passion, I want victory, you're going to go boom, 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 until either he says stop, or you don't have nothing left to strike. Right? If you're passionate, you don't stop at three. That's why I saw in our fellowship, there's some of us who do the three-pat hug. And I, and I, and I was guilty of that as well. So I, finally, I just held longer. I said, no, I'm going to do a passionate hug. I'm going to hug until you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and I'm sure if the passion police saw that, stop that. That makes me uncomfortable. Exactly. This is why I used to love Marvin Lucas. He would do it on purpose. Marvin would be like, he'd hug you, and if you resist at all, oh, you're going to be held, held for a long time. <laughs> and so I learned with Marvin, just give in. Just give in. Just be, and then, then it's like not cool for him, and he lets go. So I had to learn that. But, you know, that's in a hug. What other areas of our life are we limiting God having a true total victory because we lack passion? So I think the phrase that really sticks out is, he struck it three times and stopped. He chose to limit himself, not God. God had already said, you will completely destroy. I think God has already told us, guys, we will have total victory, but we don't get it because we stop. Because we have our part in our walk with God. We have our part. In overcoming sin. God starts it. God can give us the victory. But he wants passion. Being 50 years old. I'll be honest with you. It gets harder and harder. To maintain passion. In all areas of your life. But I don't think you have to be old to lose passion. You can lose it as a young person. We can get lethargic. We can get lazy. He chose when to stop. Rather than be told when to stop. 
What if he had kept striking and just struck until there was no arrows left? I don't think he would have got a rebuke. And I think we would have had a different story later on in Kings. What are we missing out on because we limit because of lack of passion in our spiritual walks? Good is the greatest enemy of greatness and excellence. Oh, it's enough. It's good enough. Do we do that with sin? Well, it's good enough. I only confess a few times now a week. Isn't it supposed to be total victory over sin? Are we settling for good when God was wanting great? He's wanting excellent? When would you have stopped? What area in your life right now, if you're honest, God says you can have total victory, but you stopped? I think you're following directions. I think you're faithful and committed to doing what we do as a church. But where's the passion? Because I think passion has more to determine the victory than just going through the motions. If you want to know whether that's true or not, ask any of the spouses when they first started falling in love whether passion was necessary or not. They could go through the motions. They could do all the right things, but there was no passion. I don't think they'd be with each other right now. We can do the same thing with God. We've lost the romance. We've lost the passion in our walk with him. How important is passion to our faith? What is limiting our passion? Are we too concerned with how others might see us? Maybe you've had too many of the passion police stop you, go, calm down, brother. Whoa, 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 relax, sister. You're, you're, you're being a little overzealous. You know what? Be zeal- overzealous. Be passionate. I'd rather be heard, calm down, than wake up. Right? And I know we're all capable of it because I know most of you, and I know some of the things you're passionate about, and so I know you're capable. But are we passionate about the things that are most eternal? Most important. Romans 12, 11, if you want a New Testament verse of how important it is to, to keep passion, that we need passion, look at this one. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor as we serve the Lord. Who's serving the Lord here? Hopefully all our hands are up. If they're not, and you'd like to know how, Please talk to one of us before you leave. We can help you with that. We all needed that help. But if we're all serving the Lord, let me ask, how are you doing with these two commands? Never be lacking in passion. Keep your spiritual passion. Now, it's fun taking Greek now because I get to look at the original text, and I'm finding out some really cool things. And never be lacking zeal. There's the two words there in Greek. The Greek word for lacking is okneros, which means hesitating, unready, timid. It says never be that. Never be hesitating. Never be timid. Never be unready. And then the zeal, that's opude, which means haste, speed, pursuit, exertion. 
study. There's actually another term for that. Never be lacking in passion, in urgency. And then it goes on, keep. So you got to avoid one thing and maintain another. Keep your spiritual fervor. Now here, the English translation is actually not that good. Here's why. Fervor in English is a noun, right? Guess what? The Greek word that is translated fervor is a verb. Okay? The actual Greek word is zeal, which means I boil. Keep your spiritual fervor means boil. Try to make pasta without boiling water. It's just going to be stiff. Right? Now, here's the thing, guys. Can water boil itself? You have to have a source of fire, of heat, of emotion, of passion. Guys, when we're lacking passion, what it reveals is we're not close enough to the source that would cause us to boil. That is flat conviction. Am I boiling for God in my prayers? Am I boiling for God in my mission, evangelism, seeking and saving the lost, serving the poor? Am I boiling? Am I boiling in my relationships where it's iron sharpened iron? We get in each other's business and we love it. Am I boiling? Are you boiling? Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Boil. But you got to be near the source. And so as I was looking at this, I thought, okay, what is the recipe? What are the ingredients that one needs to have to be passionate, to be zealous? And I came across this little image, and I think it's very true. The first thing is you got to have desire. Without desire, there's no passion. There's got to be a desire that, that drives that passion. What do you desire? If you can't answer that question, then you've already answered you don't have passion. What do you desire? The second is there's a sense of urgency. When someone's passionate, they don't wait. Right? You, you act on it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to do it immediately. You may have to plan accordingly, but you're, you're leaning toward achieving it. It may take time, but there's that sense of urgency, right? And then I think this one, emotional investment. Someone who's, who's passionate, they put their emotions into it. They invest in it. They don't care how other people see it. See, I think a lot of us have desires. Some of us, even a sense of urgency, but I don't think we put a lot of emotional investment into a lot of what we need as disciples of Jesus. You can tell that even in our worship at times. I can see some, they're into it. They're doing this, and we had that move a lot today in a couple songs. But I know some others are like, what are you afraid of? Well, why is there not a passion there? Why are you not willing to invest emotionally? Right? I mean, these are challenging questions, but I think we need all three of them as disciples of Jesus. I think the following parable is going to rock our world. We've heard it before, 
But I now look at it with a different lens, a lens of whether we have passion or not. Because I think what we put into our Christianity is what we're going to get out of it. Let's go to Matthew 25. I was hoping to actually show you a video version, but I had some problems uh, being able to get that to work. So I'll just have to act it out in the passage. Maybe I'll add some accents or something, show some energy as I read. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, you'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. Uh, Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So so the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. That was fun. I got to read the Bible like that more often. There's some passion. But you, hear the, you see the story, and it's very interesting because the Greek word there that's translated money is actually ar, argulion, which means silver, or more correctly, a weight of silver. Often we've used this talent as, quote, gifts. That's not really the appropriate context. It's really they were given a responsibility, a weight of silver. And the reality is... That changes for all of us in our life. What I, the weight I could carry as a young college student is very different than the weight I now carry as a 50-year-old man with three children, right? The weights change through life, high school and then college. The weight changes, especially if you live outside of your parents' home. Now, you've got to do the, the laundry, right? Although some do tend to go home and say, Mom! Right? That's why if you get them to move farther away where they can't do that, they learn. My son actually has a clean room all on his own for the first time, I think, in our entire life. He, he actually sends pictures. I've kept it clean since we've moved in. I'm like, wow. That's pretty cool. Let's continue. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. I don't know why he suddenly became another accent. (laughs) His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Who wants to hear that? I think I do. But what about the man who was given less responsibility? Well, the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, why didn't you give as much as him? Is that what the scripture says? See, we got off script there. We got to go back to the scriptures. What does the master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share 
and your master's house. Same reward. Different weight, same reward. So what's the difference? I think we got to read the third story to understand. Then the man who received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. His master replied, well done, no, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. And then gave him that stare. Well, then. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least receive it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Basically hell. Whoa. Now they were all entrusted with different amounts. One five talents, one two talents, one one talent. And again, as we said earlier, the talent is not just money, it's a weight of money. In fact, it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, A talent of silver is about 6,000 days of wages. That's a lot. So even if you only got one talent, you get a lot. Now, I don't know if the guy who got one was comparing himself like, why didn't I get two? Why didn't I get five? But remember, it was given according to your ability, or I wonder, given according to your passion. Because why was the third one rebuked? The other two got the same answer, the same reward. Come and share with your master's happiness. It's the one who had no passion, who didn't even strike the arrow three times. It just went and put the arrow in the ground. And I don't know about you, but it scares me, the judgment at the end with that. He who has nothing, even what he has will be taken. Guys, if we don't have passion in our walk as a disciple, even that will be taken from you. That's frightening to me. We got to have passion in all that we do. I love the master's response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. What do you think God's happiness is like? Pretty cool, I would think. Do you realize we could miss out on it? Not because we don't follow direction. Not because we don't keep to our tradition, not because we don't go through the motions, but we might not make it because we don't have passion in what we're doing. There was an urgency in the other two, was there not? Was there emotional investment? I believe so. And there was obviously desire to do something. Why did the one talent guy not have any of those attributes? Because he was led more by fear than faith. Fear of what he thought the master would be like. 
Now, the master never said that's who he was. He just says, okay, if that's who you think I am, then that's what it's going to be for you. As you believe, so you achieve. What you put into it is what you'll get out of it. What do you want to get out of your Christian faith? I hope eternity. I hope total victory. I hope being like Jesus. But you're not going to have that if you don't put into it desire, emotional investment, and a sense of urgency. They all had different results, and yet the two, though they were given different responsibilities, got the same reward. Because I think God's not judging us on the, the weight alone or our talents alone, the gifts. I think he's judging of whether with what talent we have, we have passion in using it. That seems to be the thing God is looking at. So we've got to ask ourselves, where is our passions right now? The one who had no passion did not have a reward. He had a punishment. In fact, his talent was taken from him. The parable shows you receive what you believe. Do you believe you can have total victory in sin? Do you believe you could have an exciting, invigorating relationship with God, both in the word and in prayer? Do you believe that God can use you to help other people become disciples? You will achieve what you believe. So after hearing this message, and obviously I've added this part, I just had to start evaluating, okay, where's my passion? If I had a passion meter, where would it be? And I was very convicted as I've seen, particularly one area in particular that I feel most convicted by is in my passion for the lost. I'll do it. I invite people when I'm out. But where's the passion for it? Where's that sense of urgency? Where's that emotional investment? I'm investing my emotions in so many other things that, yes, are oh so good. But where's my passion in that? And what I realize is unless I'm really closer to God in that area and really believe how he believes about the lost, I'm not going to boil in that area. But I've also learned if I can be around individuals who are boiling in that area, I start getting hot too. You can't step in a hot sauna and not get hot. And what I realize is so often I think we lack passion because we're doing this Christian life privately. We're doing it alone. I, I am so thankful for the Andersons moving just eight houses down on our street because they are boiling for the lost. They, it's, just, it's just who they are. And it's gotten me a little more boiled. A little more excited. I'm not where I need to be. My passion's not where it needs to be yet. But, man, I want to get there. But I got to start boiling. So if there's an area in your life that you're going, I'm not boiling for Jesus, look around the room and go, who is? And go hang out with them. Because if you hang out with someone boiling, you'll get hot too. But also I want you to think of an area in your life where you are boiling. I don't want you just to be negative on yourself. I know if you're still here, you're still coming, there's got to be somewhere in your life you're boiling. I want you then to find someone who's not boiling in that area and help them. Because that's what passion does. When you're passionate about something, you want everyone to know. Right? Eagles fans? When they won the Super Bowl, did you want everyone to know? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when your team's not winning, you don't want anyone to know. You don't want to talk about it, right? What are we passionate about in our Christian life that we're talking about? 
or what we talk about in our conversations more about things in the world than in our life as a disciple. That's scary. Are we talking more about what was on the latest news or what we read in our quiet time that morning? Ouch. Guys, we need passion. And so what I'm going to do in the lessons, at least I'm coming up with the rest of the fall, is I'm going to look at the Bible for individuals who had passion. And I want to learn from them. I want to know, how did they get it? How did they keep it? Or if they lost it, how did they get it back? Because I want to have passion again in my life as a disciple. We need passion in our walks with God. Do we not? We need passion. We need passion in imitating Jesus. Enough about just attending. We're here to be like Jesus. We need passion in our prayer life. Loud cries and tears. When's the last time that could describe your prayer life? We need passion. We need passion in our mission. And I believe that's both seeking and saving the lost and serving rather than being served. That's the full mission of Jesus. We need both. We need passion in our relationships. When we greet each other, let's get rid of that three kingdom pack. Let's just hug each other until it's uncomfortable. Now, be careful with that with visitors because that may scare them away. But it may just go, man, I feel the love here. You don't care what other people think when you express your passion for me. Let's be passionate. I know some of you, man, I love your hugs because I feel it. I feel the passion when you hug me. Others like quick drive-by. I don't feel the passion in that one. And I'm just as guilty. We need passion in our purpose. What are you waking up this morning fired up about when it comes to your Christian faith? I want to close by reading the same passage, Romans 12, in four different translations. Because sometimes it just helps to hear slightly different wording, to, to, to bring out emotions in us, to bring out passion. Romans 12, 11, the original NIV, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual Fervor, boil for Jesus, serving the Lord. The CSB standard. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. The Amplified. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the spirit, serving the Lord. I like that one. And the net version. Do not lag in zeal. But be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Guys, we need passion. I hope you'll join me in trying to ignite that fire again in whatever area of our life that we need. And so as we now prepare for communion, guys, isn't that what really made us want to follow Jesus? Is he was a man of passion. In fact, the whole crucifixion is called the passion account. That's what it's called. And we see throughout his life from the beginning where he stirred up the temple because of his zeal for the house of the Lord, because of his passion. Now, I think the, the area where Jesus is so much greater than us is we can get emotional, we can get passionate, but he gets compassionate. He adds love to that emotion. I think we get fired up. We can even praise in a song and, and do the waving, but are we loving with it? That, that's, to me, the greatest passion of Jesus is he was compassionate. He had passion, but with love. 
even as he's being crucified. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Was Jesus passionate? Yeah, he, he prayed to, to drop in sweats of blood. That's pretty passionate. I want to be like that, that man. Because he did that in the flesh, which means we're capable of it as well. Let us go to God in prayer as we remember passionate Jesus Christ. Lord God, we are so challenged by these passages, by this question of not just going through the motions, not, not doing just enough or being good, but to really have a passion that drives us to keep striking the ground, to keep going after what we need to go after until either you say stop or we have nothing left. God, I know at times we're concerned what people may think of us, but does it really matter? What matters is that you will say to us at the end of our life that you see passion in whatever weight that we carry, whatever burden that you've given us, whatever responsibility we take on, that you'll look at us and see, okay, he was passionate. She was passionate. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. And truly, Jesus received that first, for he was passionate to the very end. Even the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits in the master's happiness, sits with our Father. God, thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. We know that he would not have fulfilled your will if it was not an extreme desire, an emotional investment, and an urgency to see us be redeemed. Thank you for his sacrifice. Help us this week to examine any era of our life where we're not full of zeal, where we're not boiling for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.